Good morning, this is Steve Coleman. I'm part of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. Have you ever experienced a transition in your life to something new, a new job, a new school, a new living situation? There's a real discomfort and disorientation that comes with a dramatic change. There's new rules to learn, there's new norms for behavior, and there's new unspoken social codes to figure out. When I think of that kind of change, I think of the, my move to college for the first time. Everything was different. It wasn't my home or my room anymore. It was a generic dorm room that came complete with a stranger I had to get to know. It's a different town, cafeteria food instead of home cooking, and there were things to learn. How to get around campus, the dorm rules, how to register for classes, learning to manage my study time. You know, the children of Israel were faced with this kind of profound experience when they moved into the wilderness where nothing was the same as it had been in Egypt. You know, they had never been anything but slaves in an Egyptian culture. Their grandparents and great-grandparents had been slaves in Egypt as well. They didn't even know anyone who wasn't under Egyptian rule. Now they were free and in the desert. How were they to operate outside of Egyptian rule? The answer, the law. God wanted to establish his law to teach them and build society and culture, to make his nation a people of his own. Well, you may be thinking to yourself, why should we spend time looking at the law of Moses? Well, it's a reasonable question. Let me give you a couple of brief reasons. This is not a comprehensive list, but it's a start. The law was critical for the Jews in expressing uh, their worship to God. And so it's important for us because you see the gospel came first to the Jews and through their culture. So as we understand their culture, it helps us understand the gospel correctly. We also see Christianity as an outgrowth from Judaism, that Christianity has Jewish roots. In fact, we like to say here that Christianity is Jewish. The law is integral to our understanding of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. As we look at the Bible as a whole, we see law is contrasted with the grace in the New Testament. And so the law gives us a richer understanding of God and as we think about the New Testament and the grace there and the Messiah, Jesus, uh, understanding the Old Testament and the law in particular gives us a much better understanding of that. You'll find more answers to that question as we go along. We talked last week about the Ten Commandments, and today we're going to see what is expressed in Exodus chapters 21 to 23. It's a mixed set of laws roughly organized under several topics. The topics are treatment of servants, personal injury, property rights, justice and judgments, social responsibility, and worship. Now, now there are two questions I want you to keep in mind as we go through some of this text. The first question is, what do you learn about God as you hear these laws? And the second question is, what are your observations about the laws themselves? What observations do you have? What strikes you about these laws? 
All right, while we're not going to read everything in these chapters, here are some selected verses under each topic. Treatment of servants out of chapter 21. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he's the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man, then his master shall bring him to God, then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently." Again, out of chapter 21, if a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. Under personal injury, chapter 21, he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Also out of 21, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. Let me stop for a second and add a side note on this place to which he may flee. We don't read about it in these first five books of the Bible, but in the book of Joshua, when under Joshua, the children of Israel conquer and inhabit the land, God has Joshua set up six cities of refuge. Uh, these are places where a person could run if they were responsible for the death of another person, but it was inadvertent. In other words, it was not intentional. As this verse says, he did not lie in wait for him. There was not intentionality in killing the person, but it was unintentional. This person could flee to one of these cities and be safe from possible retribution from relatives of the person that was killed. Well, let's continue reading. If an ox gores a man or woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. If, however, an ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned, yet he does not confine it and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall also be put to death. If a ransom is demanded of him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is demanded of him. Property rights. If one man's ox hurts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide its price equally, and also they shall divide the dead ox. Or if it is known that the ox was previously in the habit of goring, yet its owner has not confined it, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall become his. Also from 22, if a man steals an ox or a sheep, and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. 22. If a thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. Let me also stop reading there and make, it, make a quick note. This is a real curious kind of law. I think what's intended here is if someone is breaking in during the night 
you don't know what kind of danger your family's in, so you would be justified in acting in self-defense. However, if the sun's up, if it's daylight, you can see who it is that's breaking in, and you know whether there's somebody from around town, they're a stranger, what they are, and there's less of uh, an unknown potential danger to your family. It should be handled as a regular theft. Let's go back to our reading. Uh, 22, a thief shall surely make restitution. If he owes nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Justice and judgments. You shall not follow the masses or the crowd. Don't follow the crowd in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after the crowd in order to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. You shall not take a bribe, for bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. Keep away from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. Moving on to social responsibility. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan if you afflict him at all. And if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry and my anger will be kindled and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. And then finally, the section on worship. You shall not curse God nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord, your God. You shall not delay the offering from your harvest and your vintage. Three times a year, you shall celebrate a feast to me. And he goes on to describe each of those three feasts. Well, what did you notice about those laws? Uh, this is a time when I would love to have a group sitting in front of me. It would be great to hear some of your observations on these laws. Unfortunately, with our present environment of virtual meetings, uh, we don't have that luxury. One of the things you may have noticed is kind of the rightness of these laws, sort of the sense of justice. They reflect sort of God's character. And it's very clear that God wanted his character on display in his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses told the people, keep them, he means God's statutes and rules, and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? And God's intent was for other nations to notice his character expressed through the wisdom of the law. And even later in Deuteronomy, uh, God helps us understand what the purpose he had for setting the Israelites apart with his law. We read there, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, 
The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep his, the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and he, they shall be afraid of you. God's plan was that other people in the nations around them would know him better by seeing the Israelites and the laws that they followed. God wanted his character on display. He wanted Israel to be that holy nation that would show him off, in a sense, to the rest of the world. You know, a second thing to notice is how practical the law is. Joanne Hagemeyer was mentioning to me the other day the format of the law that it it was uh, laid out in various cases. What an efficient and effective way to establish a law. So you have these real life type cases with answers and responses that are the right, the just ones, and then uh, administrators of the law can, can look at these cases and decide what's the right resolution for the case that's in front of them. So the law is practical and meant to bring good and practical blessings to Israel and to their nation as they followed those laws. In Deuteronomy 5, God focused on the good that the commandments would do. God says, oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Uh, also in Deuteronomy 5, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land you shall possess. God's heart for his people is that they would experience blessing as a result of the law. Our third insight about the law comes from the New Testament, the book of Galatians. In Galatians 3, Paul tells us something about the law that we need to know. He writes in Galatians 3.23, But before faith came, we were kept, meaning the Jews, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you, all, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. We know that Israel did not do a good job of keeping the law. And rather than seeing the law as a failed attempt by God to... Uh, get a people of his own, Paul is telling us that the law was designed to show the people of Israel their sin and their, the impossibility of meeting God's requirement and to put them in a place so that they were ready and ripe for the coming of the Messiah so that they could recognize him and understand that God was providing that sacrifice on their behalf. So we have the law. Uh, showing God's character. Secondly, bringing good and blessing to the people. And thirdly, serving as this tutor or this experience that was designed to help Israel identify the Messiah when he came. 
Now, from the New Testament side, we look and we see the response to that is Christ did come and brought new life. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law and then served as a substitute for you and I so that the righteous requirement of the law was met through him and we could have that new life. And just like the law, this new life is a source of blessing to us and brings many practical benefits along with us, with it. Uh, this new life is also called the law written on our hearts. We encounter that first in Jeremiah where he was prophesying. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes this very section and applies it to us today. We have God's law written on our hearts. We are the better for it. And because God's law is practical and impacts what we do, it has a real impact on society too. For example, William Wilberforce, a committed Christian, based on his Christian conscience, worked for years to abolish slavery in the United Kingdom. Missionaries in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries brought Christianity and civilization to scores of countries and hundreds of tribes across the globe and brought people out of superstitious and destructive societies, uh, at the same time elevating the status of women and children in particular. The fact that society, our society, is run by the rule of law was an idea promoted based on God and the Ten Commandments. The idea that there are moral absolutes is a biblical concept. The conviction that there are universal human rights and equality uh, is something that comes from those who applied the idea, the notion that all people are created in the image of God. We have life through the Messiah Jesus. And just like the law of Moses was supposed to do, and did in the early Israelite society, our society enjoys practical benefits and blessings because of the law of God written on our hearts. The final point I wanted to make is uh, that just as with Israel 3,500 years ago, God wants his character to show through us today to the world. A metamorphosis is going on. We are being changed into the likeness of Christ. The character of God is becoming our character as we live consistent with that inner law, with our beliefs, walking by faith. Let me tell you about my wife and my father. Both loved nothing better than a good cup of coffee in the morning. My father was a product of the U.S. Navy, and what was poured into his cup was the coffee he drank, hot and black. My wife drinks coffee, but it does not touch her lips without creamer and sugar in it. It has been transformed. It is poured into a cup just like my father's coffee was, and it is still coffee, but it is not the same drink. Something's been added to it. Things that have changed it and are so infused with it that they can no longer be separated. You and I are like that cup of coffee. You are still you, and I am still me. But God has put within us new life, 
his law in our hearts, his spirit to live within us, and we will never be the same. God was at work in the Old Testament and through the New to rescue humankind from the slavery of sin. By redeeming us and giving us new life in Christ, we have the opportunity to allow God's character to be developed further in us as we offer ourselves to him. Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of your plan. We are amazed that you love us. We offer ourselves to you this morning. We present to you our bodies that you might live in us and through us and that by doing that, that uh, your name will become known. We thank you in your name. Amen.